Welcome to the Enneagram Enthusiast Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and we've got an exciting episode for you today. We interviewed Brittany from Enneagram Explained. She is a type one, and we're going to get into what type ones are all about her Enneagram journey. Such an insightful interview we had with her. She has so much to share. Can't wait to get into that in just a moment. In the meantime, we want to thank everyone for commenting, sharing, subscribing to our podcast. We love doing the Enneagram journey with you guys. Now let's get on to our interview with Brittany from Enneagram Explained. So I want to welcome on Brittany from Enneagram Explained. I'm excited to have you on and that you said yes to this podcast. (laughs) So thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. And you are an Enneagram one. I definitely wanted to get into breaking down a one. Uh, especially the thing with the inner voice that describes a one so well when you're trying to figure out if you're a one or not. I think it's one of the biggest things that is a telltale if you are a one with that with that inner voice, the inner critic that you guys have. But first of all, tell me how, how you came into the world of the Enneagram. Um, let's see. Well, originally, I, I think I heard about it through a few friends in the Christian world, which is interesting considering there's a lot of Christians who are kind of against the Enneagram, but these ones were very gung-ho for it. And uh, I dug my heels in because I'm, oh, I'm very much that way. I don't want to follow the crowd for some reason until I, you know, come to terms with everything, I guess. And so I dug my heels, refused to do it. And then eventually, finally, something clicked. And so I caved in, borrowed all the library books that I could find on the Enneagram right. and started researching like crazy. But that's kind of how I got into it. And then, you know, I had to figure out what type I was. And there was a bit of mistyping involved in that for a little while. Yeah, I can relate to that. So talk about that for a second, because <laughs> I think people, uh, especially if they go take a test, mm-hmm. um, they automatically think like right away, like that's my number. I've found with a lot of people that that gives a generally a good idea of, of what could be your number, but it's not uh, always, all, of course, 100% accurate. What did you kind of get confused with, with the types and what you thought you were? Well, I originally thought I was a six, um, and sixes are rather similar to ones. We both have a lot of that loyalty, commitment aspects. Yes. Um, so I thought I was a six for a long time, and you know, I resonate with a lot of it, um, and I think a large part of that is actually because my dad is a six, and he has passed on a lot of six traits to me, <laughs> so That's I'm very sick. familiar with worst-case scenario planning. <laughs> But, you know, I sat with it for a few months and then the longer it went on and the more I read about sixes, I realized that uh, it didn't fully resonate with me and there was just something a little bit off. And so I kept looking into things and I realized that I'm actually a one, which, um, like I said, shows a lot of similarities to type six. (laughs) Definitely. Was there like a, a solidifying piece or like this aha moment for you that made you go, I'm definitely a one? (laughs) <laughs> uh, yes, it took a lot of digging because, um, like I said, I share traits with a six and a one. Um, but the Enneagram is not based on traits, but on you know the core motivations and the core fears. And so once I actually realized that, I had to dig deep and try and realize, you know, is my core fear or core motivation the same as a six or a one? You know, the six wants to be uh, secure and safe, and they fear being without support. And a one wants to be good and right, and we fear being bad and wrong. And, you know, of course, like, I want to be safe and secure, but at the end of the day, if I had to choose between being, you know, right or being secure, I'm going to choose being right, even if I have to give up some of the security. 
So it was a lot of digging to actually get down to that deep level, a lot of like imagining scenarios, you know, like that. figuring out stuff in your head of how things would play yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, worst case scenario, if I was down to this and I could only choose one, which one would I actually choose? And only then was able to really realize that I'm going to choose being right or rather I'm going to choose not being wrong. Usually the fear is much easier to figure out because it's, you know, right easier yeah. to figure out what you're afraid of. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. You mentioned the word digging there. It's more than just taking a test. It's more than just reading a book. Like if you really want to know who you are in this, it does take digging mm -hmm. and it takes a willingness to do that. Why was it so important for you to keep digging? <laughs> Uh, well, probably as a type one, I needed to get it right. <laughs> okay, yeah. I needed to figure out the right type for me. But yeah, it's just, yeah, wanting to figure out what type I actually was so that I could actually <laughs> perfect myself as a type one. But of course, I mean, digging does not come naturally to me at all. And so it was a slower, harder process. I had to have lots of, you know, prompts from books and stuff to actually get myself there <laughs> in the whole aspect of the gut triad and dealing with anger and stuff like that did anything resonate with you on that so ones have a hard time with that anger bit because anger is a bad feeling right so yeah. we we try and deny that we have any anger and for years i've told my husband that i don't hold grudges because i i kind of just push them back i will i probably just repress them so i don't hold grudges and eventually we realized i don't hold grudges but i hold resentment Ooh, and that is a that is usually the okay-ish word for one to use is that you know we don't get angry but we will resent things I and mean, it's kind of our softer word for anger so it doesn't make us feel as bad so in that aspect yes i i don't necessarily resonate with the anger but the resentment and trying to ignore the fact that i'm actually angry <laughs> definitely resonate with that part definitely understand that i definitely get that and the Enneagram, did, did you end up taking a test, by the way? I did. I don't remember if I took it before I started digging or not. Um, I definitely took lots of tests afterwards. I still occasionally take tests because I'm a fan of the test. Yes. yes. I love taking tests, too. So it's kind of fun meeting somebody that like right. People look at me like, you're crazy. I'm like, yeah. no, I just, I like confirming. I like knowing. Yeah, exactly. Just. I like being right, I guess. Yes. I don't know in that aspect. <laughs> Think a certain thing. So moving into uh, the Enneagram, being more than just this test that we take and this personality profile, but using it as like a tool so we can better ourselves, uh, become more healthy in our life. How do you use the Enneagram right now in your everyday life, so to speak, compared to before you knew it? So I think a large part of it for me, especially I think because I'm a social one, so everything is very outward experienced. I mainly use it as a tool to interact with other people because I'm not, I'm not a naturally intuitive person. I'm not a very feely person. In fact, I'm pretty very far from feeling. And so interacting with other normal humans doesn't always go so well for me. You know, I can come off as, you know, worst case scenario, critical or rude or just unsympathetic. Um, which is very devastating and sad to actually know about yourself, but the Enneagram actually now helps me realize that I can't, I can't just assume people are going to be like me and take what I say as I would take it. And so, you know, especially if I know what type the other person is, but even if I don't, I can try and rein in a little bit of my oneness <laughs> so that we can kind of meet a common ground. So I mainly use it as a tool with interacting. I mean, obviously there is 
my own self-growth work. Um, but a lot of it is trying to uh, tone down my oneness so that, you know, everybody can at least listen to me. (laughs) Have you found that that helps in your relationships and interacting with people? I I think it does. I mean, it's still very much a growing process. I still make mistakes all the time. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) But, but it's definitely helped a lot, especially, like I said, if I know somebody's type, then I can be way more sympathetic and, you know, form my words to fit them better. Um, especially, especially certain types like the heart triad people. I just have a harder time because I'm not a feeler. And so it just, there's a clashing if I'm not aware. (laughs) Going back to something you said about how you found how the Enneagram has helped you to relate to other people. And yeah, you do use it for self-improvement and stuff like that. Speaking on that for just a second, what do you see how it's played in your life and just becoming a better version of yourself for you? I think a lot of it has been just, it's been helping me dig up these things that I suppress so I never even think about them. And honestly, um, I'll get into this later, but I'm thinking repressed. I'm unproductive in my thinking. And so I actually usually have to depend on my husband who is thinking dominant to help me dig up this stuff because I've just, I've built up this wall to prevent me from even doing this digging work that I need to do. And so the Enneagrams really just helped me to realize that, you know, I am, I am harsh on myself, even though I don't feel like it. And, you know, what I say can come off as critical, even though I don't mean it to be critical, but other people take it as me being critical or just nitpicky or whatever. So just, I think being more aware of, you know, what and who I actually am, which is, I mean, it's sad that I can't naturally find that, but it's great that the Enneagram has been helping me realize, you know, this is who I am. And even more so, this is how other people, you know, take me as, um, and just really learning how to balance those things or learn which areas I need to work in, in order to, you know, overcome certain defaults and negative traits. (laughs) I like how you were bringing up the the whole aspect of being critical there. And I kind of want to dive into this Mm -hmm. as a one right now. I think ones do get a bad rep once in a while. Maybe more often than not, I don't know, depending on the person, but ones are so critical of themselves mm-hmm. that it just kind of naturally, in a sense, comes off and out towards other people and other things in life without even maybe even realizing maybe even more for an unhealthy one that you are being critical because there's just so much self-criticism in all Mm -hmm. of that. And a lot of that, I think, maybe comes from this inner voice. And I want to get into talking about the inner voice that a one has constantly. I don't think other types, other people really realize how much it plays a role in your life and the constant 24-7 that it's really there. Can you just kind of get into the whole thing about the inner voice and, and just for you, like, what, describe what it's like. <laughs> um, so you've been using the term inner voice, and I think that resonates, I think, with all the types. They, everybody's got an inner voice, their, you know, own version of Jiminy Cricket, basically. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, usually it's called the inner critic, you know, for a type one, which I was trying to think of, like, a word to describe my inner critic, and of course, critical would be the obvious choice. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, it doesn't quite feel like such a, uh, I don't know, reprimanding critical. It's the closest I could come was just thinking of like this 
strict overbearing teacher or instructor that just, you know, hovers over me and tells me, you know, you need to do this. I know you want to rest, but you can't do that. You still have this and that to do. And, you know, worse, you know, when I'm unhealthy or really stressed out, you know, it can be, I can't believe you did this or why are you so stupid? You shouldn't have done that type of stuff. And so it's, it's, I mean, it is a constant nagging, but um, is it really 24 seven? It, it isn't for me. And I think, um, I think that's because I'm a social type one because I think self-preservation ones, they seem to be a bit more guilt tripped um, and ridden over their inner critic of what they are doing wrong. And I think at least for me, since I am trying to be perfect so other people know how to be perfect, it's this, this kind of mental list of things of that I need to do this, I need to do that. And as long as I keep my list going, I won't be making any mistakes. And so, I mean, it's, it's probably in the back of my mind, but more so to the extent of, you know, okay, I know after this, I need to pack and I need to do dishes, that kind of running list less on the things of if I don't do this, I'm going to be a horrible person just because I have this long laundry list of things to do instead. There you go. Yeah. And then it really kicks in high gear there probably. Talking about maybe everyday life and how you deal with it. Does it affect your decisions that you make? Are you a quick decision maker or how does that work? (laughs) My husband would say I'm a quick uh, naysayer. (laughs) Um, I can make, I can say no on lots of things, but to say yes on something is slower coming, you know, even if we're picking a restaurant, I can turn down all of his options, but to come up with my own, what I actually want to do will take a long time. And that probably does go with the inner critic. Cause for me, if it's making a small decision, like where I want to eat, I'm going through this long list of, can I afford it? Should I afford it? How many calories does I have? Will I regret eating it? You know, all this long list of things, you know, if I pick this restaurant, will I actually wish I had eaten at this one? <laughs> it's just a long line of things that are keeping me from saying yes. Um, and of course, if it's a bigger decision like a car purchase or, you know, educational pursuits, it's, you know, hours and hours and hours of researching and looking into things to make sure that I make the right decision because this is such a big deal and I have to get it right the first time because there's no turning back. That's a lot to deal with there. <laughs> Do you find that that hinders your focus as well? I don't think it hinders my focus except for the fact that it keeps me from seeing, you know, big picture things, you know, the like, it would be better just to pick a restaurant and enjoy it instead of saying no and, you know, eventually getting rumpy and deciding half an hour later to settle on something. I could have been happy 30 minutes earlier instead. And so I think it, it hinders my ability to actually enjoy life earlier at the very least, if not sometimes at all. <laughs> On the plus side, you know, going through all these, especially with like the big life decisions, it usually means I generally make the right decision. (laughs) And so it saves us a lot of grief that way. Yeah, maybe the long row, but in the end, it it makes the right decision for you. Right. That's so good. For somebody that is just maybe discovering the Enneagram and they're wondering, okay, wow, this inner critic and it makes sense like that what what you're saying makes total sense it sounds like you know maybe just from the social aspect of the one versus the self-preservation but it sounds like you've learned from it and you're becoming healthier from it and understanding it and how it plays a role in your life for you what have you done to manage that 
Oh gosh, that's a learning process forever. Not to say that you have it figured out. No, yeah, I definitely do not. Um, I think it's just being more aware of it and trying to, I don't know, either stop myself from pausing forever to make my decision or just learning to loosen up. Usually, I mean, that's like, I feel like if you were to classify all of the ones type growth thing, it's more like you just need to loosen up, you know, loosen your right and wrong, your black and white thinking and you know, find this gray area where it might not be my ideal, but it's still good and that's okay. Or it might not be my ideal, but if I keep my ideal, then other people are going to suffer. So meeting people in the middle and having, you know, just this okay gray area is still a very good choice, even if it's not my ideal choice. That makes sense. So it being the inner critic and one's having a reputation of being a lot more critical than other types (laughs) here, getting into criticism. I want to give you a scenario here and I want to see if you agree with this because this is where I think part of my, you know, mistyping of myself and type one became like really real for me in a sense. Mm -hmm. I will walk into a room, not even blinking, like in literally like half a millisecond, I will be able to figure out what's wrong Mm -hmm. and how to fix it to make it better. Mm -hmm. Do you relate to that? Do you think ones relate to that is in the sense of criticism uh, of wanting to like, seeing things because they want to make things better. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. I mean, if we're not healthy, it's probably more of a rant and a laundry list of things that everything in this room is wrong and how could they do it. But generally speaking, it's us seeing the flaws and then screaming at us um, because they, you know, everybody can pick up on a few flaws, but for one, they're just shouting out at us and they're not really going to stop until they're fixed. And so they're just nagging at us the whole time that they're wrong. You know, especially if we're bringing them up to somebody, it's usually because we want this to be better. So like, <laughs> I mean, it goes for everything. So like, I'll pick up a book and it will have this horribly cheesy, you know, artwork on the book. And I'm just like, why? Like, why would you do that? nobody's going to read this book now because it's cheesy. And if you had just gone with a simpler design or a nicer design, many more people would write the book. And so it's, it's not necessarily critical as in like you're a horrible person for doing this, but like, why didn't you just do it better? You would have been better off if you had done it. And I mean, obviously it goes from silly things like that to far big, you know, the big social issues and stuff like that too. Exactly. And I think one thing, especially with this criticism in general, uh, people take it so personally. Mm-hmm. And so whenever criticism comes somebody's way, I think the first thing is we get a defense mechanism that comes up in some aspect. But I think what what's really helpful to understand about ones, like you just said, is that it doesn't necessarily come as criticism towards the person. It's mm-hmm. just you just naturally see how to make things better. And right. you're trying to, trying to be helpful more than anything. Right. Is that right? <laughs> Yes, uh, it, trying to be helpful, it just it comes out kind of wrong, at least for most listeners. <laughs> right, yeah, no, I can understand that. So in your opinion, though, is there a difference between, and if so, like maybe you can give a couple examples of an unhealthy one who's very critical versus a more healthy one that is critical? So I think unhealthy or healthy, both ones are going to see something and say, this isn't right. But ideally, the healthy one will say, this isn't right for me. And that little adding of for me just, it gives you that gray space Mm. in our generally black and white world. And so it allows us to, you know, step back a little bit, realize, okay, even if this isn't right for me, and I believe, you know, doing this is actually wrong for me, it might be right for them, or it might be right at this time and place. 
And so I think that it just, it gives a little bit more grace understanding to the other people around us, those who are not ones. And it also just loosens the one up to being a little bit more open to a actually gray world instead of a black and white world that we think we have. What does that do for a one when you're able to loosen things up? I mean, so ones go to seven in their growth. So obviously the the high side of sevens is very go with the flow and positive thinking, which is generally not what a one is. So yeah, just the the loosening up is clearly a direction towards seven. And I'm, you know, the more you do it, the more comfortable you'll be with it. You know, the more times I break this idealistic rule, the more comfortable I get with it, you know? So, I mean, even now it's like I had a ridiculously clean house pre-kids. And as we added on kids, uh, I had to just loosen up or I was going to be insane and my kids would never see me because I would be cleaning the house all the time. And so realizing that I had to give up this super high standard of a clean house in order to have a happier and healthier family, you know, obviously it was my loosening up just allowed us to overall be happier and healthier and I didn't have to clean all the time and be insane. And, you know, originally that would have bugged me to not have my house up to my standards. And I have just gotten used to it as it's been, you know, years now since I've lived in that ideal and it's comfortable now, even though five years ago I would have been shocked. (laughs) That's a really good practical example though, right there of, of, of how that plays out in everyday life there. Uh, ones I think can dish criticism pretty well. They can they can hand it out pretty well, uh, and of course it's just to better the the situation or better the environment or whatever. Why is it so hard in in your thoughts here for ones to take criticism? I think at the root of it, it's because we're already critical of ourselves, and so if an outside source is criticizing us, it just confirms our core fear that we actually are bad, that we're actually wrong. Um, and so, you know, of course the other person's going to say, no, you're not, you're not bad. You're not wrong. It was just a mistake. You just need to fix it. And that's okay. But for one, a mistake equals bad. You, you know, you failed, you're wrong. This is the end of the story. And, uh, you know, to have that outside source tell us and confirm it, it's just kind of crushing to us that, oh, like I thought I was bad, but now everybody else is telling me bad. I'm bad too. And, you know, that's not to say that, nobody should criticize a one. I think there are definitely times and places when a one needs to hear the criticism and, you know, hopefully the one is healthy enough to actually like accept it and learn it from the opportunity to actually become better, which, you know, if you spin the criticism that way, it's a great perfectionist tool. We can just keep perfecting ourselves and we take the criticism that way. But for the most part, my guess is that the one already knows where their mistakes are. And so we probably don't need quite as much criticism as people actually give us. It's also why we rarely, most, okay, it's it's why most ones rarely apologize. There's definitely some few who have spun it and they're like, no, it's the right choice to apologize. And they're probably the very healthy ones. And that's great. Um, The rest of us ones just can't because, you know, it's, we already feel we're bad. And outside sources confirm we're bad. If we have to say it, then it's just this devastating, you know, feeling. 
And so we'd rather just not say it, even though technically not apologizing is not right. <laughs> I get where you're coming from on that. It, it makes sense when you put it together like that. And I think this is so good for people to hear and understand about ones. It's coming from a place of you're already thinking this stuff quite a bit. Because I'm thinking in my life, when, when I hear something, I get into these feelings of mm-hmm. shame of I'm not good enough or along those lines to actually hear it is almost damning in a sense. Mm-hmm. Really yeah. it is. <laughs> so going back to this whole thing about either taking the assessment or they're reading the books and they're doing the digging that you were talking about earlier to find out about you. Sometimes it could make us cringe. You're just talking about all these bad things being revealed to you and people criticize you. What was revealing to you that was kind of hidden before? Well, so originally when I, I started digging into type ones, I actually thought I was pretty good. I thought, well, maybe I'm just a really healthy one, which, <laughs> yeah, right, no, it's definitely not the case. Um, I just hadn't actually dug deep enough into myself. So I didn't think I was hard on myself. And, you know, in some ways, I still don't think I'm hard on myself because it's just, this is normal for me. Um, and of course, my husband tells me, no, you, you actually are hurting yourself. You just don't realize it. And, you know, I mean, I think I mentioned this before, but ones are notorious for repressing our bad emotions. And it turns out I'm actually really great at repressing even the ability to go searching for any of those bad emotions and doing the digging. So it's like I've, you know, put up that wall to even keep me from the much needed soul searching. So I was just kind of blinded that. I actually did have all these negative traits of a one. Um, I just didn't know myself well enough. And, you know, thankfully my husband's really good at helping me (laughs) see all that and connect the dots because I I just rely on his thinking ability to help fill in my gaps. He's a a five, is that correct? He is a five, very, very much a five. (laughs) It was cool. I I don't remember what post it was, but I remember you commenting on one of our posts that we put out there. It might have been something about the notorious pastor post that we put out there that... um, Very possible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we got a lot of criticism on that, so to speak. especially from the sixes. Um, uh, we won't get into that. But you, I think you made a comment on that, that your, your husband is a pastor and he's actually a five. And I just thought that was super fascinating mm-hmm. because I don't think I've in my life, and I've been around a church a lot, I don't think I've met a pastor who's a five. And I just thought, <laughs> my goodness, his messages, his sermons, this must be just chock full of this great stuff. Um, <laughs> and everything there. But talking about the balance, you you were saying that he balances you so much in this. Uh, We're in the middle of a relationship series on Instagram right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Describe like that interaction that you guys have and how that balance for you guys plays out between a one and a five in Mm -hmm. in your marriage. So I am a rather five-ish one. (laughs) And I think at least just interacting and, you know, even arguing, we we're pretty similar on that. So, I mean, like the first year of our marriage, we didn't even fight, which baffles my dad to this day. Um, But we're just, we're so very logical and not feelers that we can usually hash out an argument without getting too upset. But that's more on how we're actually similar. But as far as how we balance each other, um, so there's this one facet of the Enneagram, which is a little bit newer, or at least it's it's being talked about recently, whereas it wasn't really before. And it's generally called the stances. And so 
the short of it is we all, you know, there's the three tri-types, the head, the heart, the gut. And to some extent, we use all three of them. You know, we're human. We have all three of those. But one of them is dominant in us, um, which is, you know, the triad that you're in. So for a one, it's the gut triad, um, the doing triad. And one of the other three will be repressed, which I do not like the term repressed, but unproductive. You aren't using it well. And so as a one, I'm dominant in the doing, but I am repressed in my thinking, which took me a long time to be okay with that because I think all the time, but it's this hamster wheel of running through my thoughts and not necessarily going anywhere. But my husband's a five, and so he's in the thinking triad, so he's dominant in thinking, but he's repressed in doing. So he tends to, you know, overthink things and, you know, I'm sitting there going, you should have started doing this six months ago, but you're still thinking on it. And so it's just been this really great way that we're perfectly matched in the fact that I'm dominant in what he's repressed in and he's dominant in what I am repressed in. And so, you know, ideally I will have to grow and get my thinking up to par but in the meantime, you know, he can act as my training wheels and uh, help me along, which is great because, you know, when I'm down in the thick of it, especially if I'm stressed, I kind of just go on this cycle. I'm just stuck on this uh, wheel um, and not going anywhere. And I can, you know, say I'm logical about the issue and think things through, but I'm really just replaying it over and over in my brain and thinking and thinking and thinking. And it, doesn't really move forward until I actually talk to my husband and he, he pulls out his great five thinking card and he just really sits down and walks me through it and brings out even more logical aspects that I just hadn't thought about. And I'm actually able to like break through that wall and go somewhere. Um, and you know, similarly for his five, you know, he, he does all this thinking, he does lots and lots of planning and then he kind of just sits there and then he keeps thinking about it. And so, you know, he, he wanted to get a schedule for his life because it's been a little bit messy lately. And, you know, I would have just sat down, picked a schedule planner and do it. And he has been stewing on this idea for six months now. And <laughs> he finally got to the point where he's like, you know what, just, just pick one for me and I'll finally do it. Otherwise, I'm never going to do it. And so, um, you know, I can either do things for him or kick him into doing it himself. <laughs> there you go. It sounds like you guys got a great balance there and talk about a, a great match there on how you guys work together on all that type of stuff. And that makes a lot of sense when you were talking about, you know, the first year of your marriage, not arguing the whole <laughs> man, being able to leave the emotions out of a right. conversation or an argument or anything like that. That's I envy that. <laughs> talking about how the Enneagram, you know, we just talked about how it's changing lives. And, you know, I'm sure you, you've been interacting with people with the Enneagram and, and seeing lives that are changed. It's one thing to have this for yourself and get an understanding for yourself. It's another thing, I think, to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to put together a, a social media account and talk about this and, and get this out there. Talk to me about your account, Enneagram Explained. Why did you want to start that? <laughs> so I wanted to start it because I was such an Enneagram geek that I was, you know, blowing up my personal Instagram feed and realized I, I can't keep doing this to all my personal friends and family. <laughs> so I, I started the um, Enneagram Explained so I could basically just share out all of my Enneagram nerdiness. But, you know, I wanted 
I wanted to create it to be more than just this feed of definitions and um, explanations. Cause you know, a lot of, a lot of the Enneagram accounts out there do just give you, you know, the little slides of here's your positive traits, here's your negative traits, you know, just the simple basics that you would find in a book anyways. But I'm such a practical person that I don't even like self-help books that don't give me, you know, a bullet point list of things I need to do to change because I can't actually think of those things to change myself without somebody telling me to. It's that whole not wanting to dig deep thing, I'm sure. But uh, so I wanted to do that for the people following on my account. So, you know, I still give the definitions and the explanations, but I also make sure to include growth work series and stuff and, you know, actual practical ways to start actually implementing the Enneagram so that you're actually using it to growth instead of just this stereotypical number, like all the other personality tests where you just get to go walk around and say, well, I'm a one, that's all it is. And it's like, no, you're not, you're not just a one. You get to be one and then work on where you're unhealthy. <laughs> yes. And that's one of the things I loved about your account, what you just said there is reading through your stuff and being like, oh, that's how you do that. Not just mm. like, oh, that's me. <laughs> how that works. Oh, okay. I love that. And you got a pretty great following. It is. It's, so when you started this? I started, oh gosh, it, it was either January or February this year. So it's only been, what, eight, nine yeah. months. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it's definitely blown up fast. I think it, it's benefiting the fact that Enneagram is rather trendy. Like I've got, I've got another professional Instagram account and it's just dwindling. I'm like, why, why can't you be trendy like the Enneagram? But, but yeah, it's, it's great. And I don't know, it's very fulfilling to actually see those numbers. I mean, the numbers don't really mean anything, but it is nice to see that there's all these fans and people that think my stuff is worthwhile to find. And especially the actual personal inner uh, interactions with these people when they're actually making comments. And I love seeing it when, you know, you'll get a six talking about how they do their Enneagram parenting. Right now I've got an Enneagram parenting series going out, but just to see them comment and then, you know, another six chime in on how they solve this problem for themselves and just seeing that actual interaction where it's not just a bunch of people saying, this is me and I love this. And that's, that's obviously really great to see too, but I love seeing the, the depth of the actual engagement with these followers. I think it's just great that the, the community, the Enneagram community is able to voice that and we're able to be a part of that. So yeah, if you don't follow Enneagram Explained, go on Instagram and, and look up that handle Enneagram Explained. Do you have anything that you kind of want to give us a heads up on that you, you might be doing here in the future? Um, yeah, so I've got a series planned that's, you know, there's so many great reasons to actually learn and figure out the Enneagram. And, you know, the blanket statements are all very great reasons to learn about the Enneagram, but there's actually specific reasons for each Enneagram type to want to dig into this. So that's what my next series is going to be on is, you know, the specific reasons why a type four would want to learn about the Enneagram or five and, um, you know, really good for you. But also like, you know, if you have a friend and you suspect they're a type five, but they don't want to do the Enneagram at all, you're like, well, let me tell you, there's these reasons that'll probably appeal to you because you're a type five probably. And, you know, it's, I'm hoping it'll be helpful to get more people into the Enneagram who are generally standoffish because the blanket statement reasons aren't good enough for them. So yeah, it should be, should be good. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one. Definitely, definitely go follow Enneagram Explained if you don't right now. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you for coming on here and doing this with us. We really appreciate that. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> hopefully we'll have you again soon. 
What great insight from Brittany. Thank you so much again, Brittany, for joining us on our podcast. Again, thank you for everyone listening today. If you could comment and rate and subscribe and share this podcast, get the word out about the Enneagram Enthusiast podcast. If you have any questions, email us at enneagramenthusiast at gmail.com. And remember, the greatest gift you can give someone is the best version of yourself.